Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with one of the most feared sluggers of his generation on a special two-part podcast with Albert Bell. And there's a shot deep in the left center field. He has done it. A two-run homer, and suddenly it's a one-run game. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. Today on the program, we sit down with a five-time All-Star, five-time Silver Slugger winner, and he drove in 100 runs nine times. He was inducted into the Indians Hall of Fame in 2014. And as I sit here, he's, he's one of the best hitters I ever played against. Ladies and gentlemen, Albert Bell. Albert, thanks for coming on the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. You're over in Arizona, huh? Yeah, it's uh, nice and hot, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm used to it. I like it. Um, you know, being from Louisiana, uh, it's definitely a, a drier heat. You know, in Louisiana, I got tired of all the rain and all the mosquitoes. And, um, you know, so Scottsdale is a nice place to retire, great place to raise a family. You're not a kid when you say, hi, I remember going over there to play the Diamondbacks in the middle of summer. And you're not, you know, I'm coming from Seattle, wherever I'm coming from. And, and there's not hot. You can't teach people that hot. you got to get used to it. I remember going across the street and I'm going, you got to be kidding me. They say it's dry, but it's 118 is 118. Well, the, the thing about the, you know, the, the 100 degrees here is, is pretty, um, pretty doable. But once to get to like 105 or hotter, then it becomes unbearable. Um, you, you'd be surprised at how much water you got to drink and stay hydrated. But, uh, you know, it's not so bad when it's, you know, 90, 95, 100. But once it gets to 105, uh, then it starts to hurt. Yeah. All right. I've done a lot of podcasts and I get to learn a lot of interesting things about about the guests I have on, about, you know, guys I played against. And the interesting thing, I'm doing my homework for this. You were an Eagle Scout. Now, how did you find the time to be an Eagle Scout? I know you're a football player, obviously a baseball player, but but tell the Boone Podcast what that entails. Is it's pretty? It's a pretty. You got to do a lot of work. Yes the uh, the scout the scout master name was uh, Willis Reed, and he worked with my mom at her high school. And he was a scout master. And when we were old enough, you know, uh, you know, junior high, high school age, he asked if we wanted uh, to join the scouts. We were like, sure, you know, we'll, we'll try it. Um, and that was the thing about our parents back then. Uh, we were involved in so many uh, community activities, church activities, uh, sports. Um, so we were always busy, you know, never had time for trouble. Uh, and, you know, we always had to study. We always had to go to the library and read and check out books. Uh, so we were always busy. And, you know, whether we were, you know, playing with the kids in the neighborhood, you know, from sun up to sundown. Um, and then Saturdays was the Saturday morning uh, was devoted to um, Boy Scouts. Uh, you know, you go there in the morning, you meet, you know, with some of the guys. It was like an hour or two and. You know, you work towards, you know, your Mary Bad Skill Awards. Uh, and then uh, you had to go to summer camp every year and you had to, like, be outdoors, take your, you know, your tent, your sleeping bag and outdoor stuff. And you had to uh, be outdoors at the campsite for a week. And yet you get to work and try to earn Mayor Bads and Skill Awards. So uh, it, was, it was a great experience. Um, just about every scout that came through uh, uh, Mr. Reed's uh, troop. Uh, we all became Eagle Scouts. It was something we were proud of. Um, and I, the, the troop is still, it's, it's uh, my church um, in Shreveport, uh, Galilee Baptist Church. They took over uh, that particular uh, scout group, and uh, they are still um, putting out uh, Eagle Scouts. So uh, it was, it's a, it's a great honor. Um, I've looked at some of, it's kind of hard to remember a lot of, um, you know, high profile, you know, CEOs and, and, and people, other athletes have become, uh, you know, they, 
we're Eagle Scouts and you know, and I'm part of a, a special group. That's pretty cool. And it, cause it's not, you know, I, I was, I was reading about it. I said, not everybody has that, those credentials, you know, you, you got a lot of ribbies, but not, a, not a lot of people with a lot of ribbies or an Eagle scout on top of it. All right. You mentioned Shreveport, Louisiana. I had Vita blue on the, on the program recently. He grew up in a similar spot to, I think just outside of Shreveport, um, twin brother, Terry, uh, I want to hear yeah. about Albert Albert Bell, the kid. What was your childhood like? Well, you, you know, speaking of uh, Vita Blue, it's an interesting story. My high school football coach, uh, Tony Rose, when he was when he first became a teacher coach, uh, he coached Vita Blue. And I think it was somewhere around like Mansfield, Louisiana, one of those small towns around there. And he said he got a chance to, uh, to coach Vita Blue when, when he was in high school and um, – you know, and then, and then when I got to high school, he got a chance to coach me in football. And, um, you know, at our high school, we, we've had a couple players, you know, go in the NFL, uh, a couple went in the NBA, and, and I went um, in Major League Baseball. So, um, Shreveport, Louisiana has turned out some uh, some pretty, uh, um, pretty good uh, ball players in all three sports. You were a member of the National Honor Society. Dad is a high school a high school baseball and football coach, I, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And your mom was a math teacher. So you're playing ball, you're playing football, and, and I, you're I, recognized. You're National Honor Society. And you know, my you know, mom and dad my mom was a math teacher, my dad was a PE teacher coach. And in order for us to play sports, we had to hit the books. Uh, we had to make good grades. And, um, you know, they believed in, you know, education first. Um, and we just, we were like, okay, so, you know, we didn't have a problem hitting the books. Um, I graduated sixth in my class. My brother graduated fifth. And, um, you know, we went down to LSU. Uh, he did a little bit better in college you know, in GPA compared to me. Um, but, that, you know, that's one thing, you know, I'm proud of. I mean, I was involved in a lot of clubs at school, uh, a lot of community activities, a lot of church activities. And, uh, you know, it's just, that's just the way it was back then. You know, the kids in the neighborhood, uh, you know, we just wake up, and like in the summer, we wake up, we go out, we play all different sports travel around the different neighborhoods, play other, play other kids in other neighborhoods. We all ended up at the same high school. Uh, you know, you play football in our football season and you switched over to basketball and then you switch over to baseball season. Uh, a couple of kids ran track. Um, so the, the one thing um, I do wish we would have had, I wish we would have had soccer. Uh, you know, my, my three daughters play soccer now, and that's a sport that I was like, wow, like this would have been fun to play. But, uh, you know, growing up in Louisiana, I mean, you know, in Shreveport, we were just constantly involved in activity. Like we never had any really downtime. And, and I think, you know, I think it's cool. We're similar age. I think you're a little bit older than me, but, but, uh, you know, our childhood, I, I have so many fond memories grew up. I grew up in Jersey. And you talk about playing all the sports and, you know, now I've, I'm, you know, I'm raising, I got four kids and it's just different now. You know, I, I got all this specialty crap and, oh, he's just got to do one sport. And, and I just think back to the time when we were kids, it's like anytime there'd be a, uh, a street hockey game breakout or, or, you know, touch football on the street, wiffle ball game. And it's like, you got to just, you had to reel us in as kids. You had to force us to come home. We were always outside doing something. I'm playing basketball, yeah. football, baseball. I wish, you know, and I'd love if, if this, our society's got back to that because I think it's so good for the kids. You know, when they're, when they're railroaded into one sport, it's like this is a sport. You know, you only get to be a kid once. And I think the other sports are so – they can be so beneficial to the, to the sport you choose, or, or if you're lucky enough to be good enough to go to the next level. And I think we've gotten away from that, you know, in 2021. And, and 
a lot of times, you know, I look at my kids and I'm guilty of it too, because it's such the norm now, but it's like, I wish we could get back to some of the things we did as kids, you know, it, it's, I don't yeah. know. It seemed like a simpler time. Yeah. Well, the, the thing about now is, you know, my, my three daughters are uh, uh, 15, 13, 11. And right now um, they are in Michigan with my wife. And the reason why I want them to be in Michigan is because, you know, because the weather is so nice, like they can go outdoors and they can play with the other kids in the neighborhood. Uh, I think um, the, uh, the couple kids across the street play basketball, a couple ran track. Um, so they can, you know, ride skateboards, ride bikes, play soccer. So they can get out in the street and pretty much play all day, just like we did as a kid. And I want them to get a break from the grind of like club sports here, because once they get back, I think we start club sports, club soccer is in the middle of August. And then uh, my youngest, uh, she'll be in the sixth grade, so then she'll probably be playing like school volleyball, and then you go right into like school soccer, and and then she'll play uh, school basketball while she's playing um, club soccer, and then I'll probably sign her up for like a couple track meets just to try them out and see what events she likes. So, um, but my two oldest. Um, they, they, when junior high, they played all three sports. You know, they played volleyball, basketball, soccer, club, and then along with club soccer. And then in high school, uh, they want to run track and, and, and play school soccer. So, um, you know, they keeping their grades up. They're, uh, you know, A students. And, uh, you know, they're, um, you know, kind of taking the, taking the lead. I don't have to push them like, um, you know, to force them to do anything. They, they love to like work out on their own. You know, they love to play sports. They love to like just meet with their friends and go to the park and just do, just do normal stuff at the park. You know, I would give them a soccer ball, basketball, just kind of let them, you know, do what they want while I sit and, uh, you know, do a little bit of exercise and not as much as I should, but a little bit of exercising. But, um, you know, that's the thing I like about now with them being in Michigan is they get a chance to like, just just wind down and I want them to be kids and just relax and let their body rest and just kind of go at their own pace and um, just be kids. I mean, I, I know some, some parents here who kids play club baseball and since September, they play like 120 games. And I was like, bro, we didn't want to play 120 games. And, and like, you're, you're, 12 or 13 year old kids playing that many games. That's like, that's a lot. I mean, that's too many. I, I remember uh, in the summer, we, you know, we played summer baseball. It was like eight weeks. You played two games a week. You played Tuesday and Saturday, and then you would practice Monday and Friday. And then the rest of the days you were off. And it was, it worked out perfect. And then right when that baseball season went into football, and then you went into basketball, and then you had your spring baseball, and then summer baseball. So that was pretty much our schedule, and and just about everybody did that. But now they got these people to believe, like you know, if you want to get ahead, like you got to travel and do this. And you know, like our soccer team travels, and I'm kind of like don't like it, but I understand like we get to play like some some quality teams like in California, but I'm saying, why do we need to go to California to get beat? When there's plenty of teams in Arizona, we haven't beat. Like we need to line these teams up and say, okay, until we can beat all these teams and dominate Arizona, then we can venture out and, and play in Vegas and in California and, you know, Colorado, New Mexico. So, um, but it's, it's great. You know, they have great coaches, you know, so I do like that. And, you know, they do um, bring the best out of the girls and they improve. They're, they become great soccer players. Um, so I, I enjoy um, that part. But they do, you know, they do give them, you know, a little bit of free time. There's, there's a lot of activities where they do bonding because, you know, girl athletes are different than boy athletes. And, um, you know, the girl athletes, they need their bonding social time. 
And, um, you know, once they get that, they're very happy, very productive, no matter if they're winning or losing. So you went to Huntington High, Shreveport. Um, you remember the 84 Junior Olympic team. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. I think you won a silver medal. We, I, I uh, was the most valuable player of the state of Louisiana. Um, I was a great hitter. And I just kind of pitched because, um, you know, obviously, you know, everybody kind of pitched and played a different sport or position in high school, but pretty decent pitcher and um, ended up getting selected to the junior Olympic team. And we played, we did a couple travel games where we were in like North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana. And then we played in Saskatchewan, Canada. And we, like, you know, we had some stud pitchers. Jack McDowell was our ace. Uh, Greg Olson. We had a lot of kids got drafted in the first round. And I ended up having to pitch because we we were playing against Australia. And I ended up pitching against them. You know, the coach was like, you know, hey, we don't want to, um, you know, burn up one of our pitchers in case we need them because we were going to end up playing Cuba in the championship in case, you know, something happens where you need one of those pitchers. And I was like, sure, I'll go out. And, you know, I threw like a seven inning shutout. And, you know, everybody was looking around and they're like, you can pitch. I'm like, yeah. But, you know, you you, you don't know anything about my stats because, you know, there was no social media. And, and, you know, there was, you know, barely newspaper articles about my performance. But, you know, I just went out, dominated. You know, I wasn't throwing, you know, you know, killing the radar gun, but I was hitting, you know, throwing strikes and hitting my spots and, you know, keeping those guys off balance. So uh, we end up losing one to nothing to Cuba. Uh, Jack McDowell uh, lost. He was, you know, he, he was, he was a stud pitcher then. And it was funny because the player, of the tournament with this kid was named Omar Linares who played third base uh-huh. and, and in an 84. So then when I go with Baltimore to play Cuba in an exhibition game, he was still playing for team Cuba at third base. And I was like, wow. I was like, this kid could have been in the big leagues for like 15 years. Like that's how good he was. He probably still, you may see him in the Olympics playing for, Cuban baseball team. He's going to be 52 playing. What's that? He's going to be 52 still playing. I remember yeah. Lenar. You know, because a little later, uh, I my freshman year in college was uh, 89. So I played on the, the, the 90 uh, national team. But that was, you know, it wasn't an Olympic year, so it wasn't that big of a deal. So all the big juniors, mm-hmm. you know how they signed. But during an Olympic year, they might stick around. We went over to Cuba, and I remember Linares. He was their third baseman. He was like the Mike Schmidt of Cuba. That cute, yeah, that kid could play. I mean, he he could flat out hit, and yeah, he, he was a great defensive third baseman. And you could see right away, it's like this kid should be should be playing in the big leagues. Do you remember who was that guy? He was. Do you remember another? Uh, yours was the Junior Olympics. He might not have been there. He was an older player, but he was like a star in Cuba, and he was kind of a character. Uh, I forget his name, but it, it was it was on Linares's team years later when I played him in Cuba. Interesting, and we got we got yeah. our brains beat in by Cuba. We went over there, Albert, with a couple. We went over there with all freshmen and sophomores in college. We yeah. get to Havana. We go to the stadium. You know, they got Fidel's coming to the game to watch us play. We're watching them warm up, and we're thinking, oh, we're going to boat race these guys. They treated – it was like big leaguers playing with uh, with college flares. I mean, we got mercy ruled every day. It was a pretty unique experience getting to go over there and, uh, you know, pretty cool to have those memories. But we got boat raced <laughs> in, my, yeah. in my 89, 89 tour over there. It, it was probably the same group of players I played against in 84. They just were five years older. I mean, it probably was the same guys. Yep. So, uh, but the the one thing, you know, I when I went and played in this junior Olympic team and I got a chance to see, you know, and play with the top players in the country, and I was like, 
wow, like, I'm like, I can, like, play with these guys, too. And I remember, like, I didn't get drafted my, at my you know, out of high school. And I was like, wow, out of 66 rounds, it might have been, been 69 rounds. I was like, I didn't even get drafted. And they, you know, I was the most valuable player of the state. And they said, like, you know, I wasn't good enough. And I'm like, okay, if that's what you say. But, you know, you don't really see me. Uh, working hard on my baseball game. You don't see me hitting with my dad all the time at the park. Uh, you don't see me. Uh, I remember if I, you know, like at that time, like we played at like Saturday at like four o'clock in the afternoon. So in Louisiana, it's like 95 with like 90% humidity. And I'm out there pitching with a sleeve on and I'm just mowing these kids down and whether it was a five, you know, a five in a game because of the mercy rule, or seven in a game where I threw like a complete game, no such thing as a pitch count. But I would just, I knew I was going to pitch the whole game, and then on the way home, my dad would drop me off. There was this little corner store, and we used to walk to it all the time, and you know, buy candy. But he would drop me off. And he said, okay, jog home. And it's like 1.2 miles. So after I just threw like a seven in and shutout, and he's like, okay, jog home. And it's not like I had like some, some Nike Air Max Pro shoes, to, you know, <laughs> tennis shoes to jog home. I might have had like some, some beat up Chuck Taylor or some kids or something or some no-name brand shoes. So, um, and it was, I mean, it was after the game. So, you know, if you start at four, I'm jogging home at six o'clock and it's hot in Louisiana. But uh, my dad always said, he's like, you're always going to be in shape no matter what. He said, you're always going to keep your legs in shape. Uh, he said, you're always going to keep your arm warm. And I remember Little League back then, you, you know, it was like nine, nine years old, played with 10, 11, and 12 years old. But he wouldn't let me pitch until I was 11. And I always pitch with a sleeve, and I would even take a jacket sometimes, and I never had arm trouble. And I pitched from 11 years old all the way through Legion Ball, and I never had arm trouble. And and after every game, my dad would make me jog home. And even when we'd go to the park uh, and practice, and that was like 1.1 miles from home, I had to jog home. And I and and I I take pride in that because. Uh, I was always in shape when we played football. Like I was the quarterback, the safety, the kicker, the punter. I never came off the field, but I was, I, you know, I, I was always in shape, and um, it, it was just something I just always wanted to do. I always wanted to play all the time, every day, and and uh, you know that was just something instilled in me as, as a youngster. That's very cool. I mean, it sounds like your, your mom and dad, you know, they, they instilled in you what they wanted you to be the, the best young man you could growing up. And it was some form of discipline. But, you know, it's cool to hear you say it now. You appreciated that uh, what they were what they were drilling into you at the time. It's no, this is what we do after we. But, Dad, I pitched a shutout. Well, still, let's let's stick with our routine. I, I think it's pretty cool. And I think, yeah, I don't know. I think we need more of it. All right, so yeah. no draft. You go to LSU. Uh, LSU, man, I got I got a story for you about LSU. But uh, I went to USC. Far cry from LSU from a baseball standpoint. I remember uh, going there for a regional in 1990, and okay. all of a sudden, you know, at SC, you know, if you're a football, that's a big time school to go to. But baseball, right. you know, we might we might get two or three hundred on the weekend if we're playing Stanford. I remember I went to that regional at LSU. We were we killed it first four games, and we had to get LSU had to beat us twice to keep us from going to the College World Series. Well, fast forward, okay. they did beat us twice. But I remember playing in front of I don't know how many. People were there, eight, ten thousand. That was a different experience for for someone like us playing in the pack, you know, with the pack ten, because baseball wasn't a big deal. You know, in LA, it's not a big deal to go to the USC baseball game. But I love those those cities where college baseball is a big deal. And and I remember the first time going out to restaurants and like people at LSU would recognize me as the SC player, and I'm like, wow, this is kind of cool. You know, you, you kind of get a little bit of that. You know what it's like to be recognized when, when you're not used to it, but 
but that was a pretty cool place. Tell me about your time at LSU and was LSU the only college you considered or, or what were your other uh, options? Um, after, after high school, um, after, after football season, um, I was recruited by several teams to play college football and I ended up taking a recruiting trip to Notre Dame and uh, I fly with another guy on our team. He was a blue chip running back and we fly to Chicago and then we take like a little puddle jumper over to uh, South Bend and it was cold and it was snowing and we landed and it was snow everywhere and we have a visit and we didn't really have like winter clothes, you know, like a, like a, you know, a parka, a ski jacket, or, you know, you know, all this inflated gear. So it was cold. And, you know, they wanted me, they wanted to recruit me as an athlete. And I said, no, I want to play quarterback. And I went out, you know, I went in the, uh, I went in the, um, the practice facility and they had a kid. He's about six, six, two seventy. He was a defensive lineman. And that was about the size then. You know, there, there was a, a lot of guys that were like 300 pounds, but this guy was, you know, pretty big. And I remember, because at the time, this was before I graduated high school, so I was probably like 5'10", like 160. And I was like, wow. I was like, if this guy comes around the end and blindsides me, I was like, I think, you know, my career is going to be over. So I was like, I think I'm going to go stick with baseball. It looks a lot safer. And uh, I turned down all my... Uh, football scholarships. Um, I had a chance to play at the Air Force Academy, a couple local um, Louisiana schools, Notre Dame. But I really, at the time, I knew I didn't want to. I knew I didn't want to play two sports. Uh, I wanted to focus on baseball. I had a chance to start as a, a freshman at LSU, so uh, you know, I was working on, you know, first thing. Skip Bertman told us we're going to work on fundamentals. I mean, that's all we did. And he would, he would tell us, he was like, he's like, if University of Georgia's practicing three hours, we're going to practice four hours. If Mississippi State's practicing four hours, we're going to practice five hours. He said, we're going to outwork everybody. And he said, we're going to turn this thing around and we're going to be a powerhouse. So when I came in in 84, 85, that was his second season as a head coach. And we, we had a pretty decent year. And then I, I give him one thing. He was a great recruiter. He recruited these kids. And then my sophomore year, we ended up going to the College World Series. And we end up, I think we ended up coming in fourth. So we were kind of like the preparatory team. And, and then by the time, you know, like you say, when you got to the 90s, I think he won like five national championships out of the nineties, but you know, he could get the, the top recruits in the country. And, um, it was just the, his program. We just, we just worked hard. And I remember, um, he always, you know, like if practice started at two thirty, like I would get there at two o'clock and hit. And then he was like, you know, you know, Albert, I need you to work more on your defense. Can you come at two o'clock? And I said, sure. And I would get there at one thirty and hit. And then I get there, and then at 2 o'clock, then I worked on my defense. And I used to always tell him, I said, I'm always going to hit first, defense later. And I say, I'm always going to hit first. So uh, that was kind of like our, 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 our big head butt. You know, we, we butted heads. And, um, you know, I didn't end my college career the way I wanted. Um, I ended up getting suspended um, because we butted heads and, and the reason why is because, you know, it was just, it was just, we just saw things different. And there was a couple of times, like I didn't, I didn't run the ball out and stuff. And, um, you know, he got on, you know, he got on me and stuff. And um, so at the end, I remember after the 87 season, um, I had gotten suspended after the, uh, SEC tournament in Georgia where I went up in the stands. I was trying to get a, a fan that was yelling racial slurs at me the whole game. Originally, uh, I think we were playing, I think we might have playing Georgia, Mississippi State. 
Um, this gentleman took it upon himself. He left the, the, the crowd because he was sitting behind his crowd on, we were on the third base dugout. He was on the, they were on the, behind the first base dugout with their fans. So he leaves his section, comes, goes out to right field. So there's like barely bleachers and he's the only one there. And, uh, he's out there yelling racial stuff. And I go tell coach Burtman and he didn't do anything about it. And I was like, oh, okay. So I was like, okay. And I think I'm a, you know, next to bed, I might have popped up stuff, you know. So I go out and this guy ride me. And I was like, you know, the hell with this. I'm going after this guy. And uh, I started going after him. And then the next thing you know, I think like, you know, Mike Papa John, the center fielder, like he tackled me. And they, the left fielder, they came over and they held me down. And I was like, you know, this, no. I said, if my coach is not going to protect me, I said, I'll do it myself. And uh, so uh, me and Bertman, Bertman suspended me and we had a meeting in his office. It was me, my brother, my mom, and my dad. And we were like, okay, what if the team goes to the World Series? Will I have a chance to play in the World Series? Am I just suspended for the region? And he says, well, I don't think this team is good enough to make it out of region because we, we had to go to New Orleans. We didn't host we didn't host a region that year, and we were like, well, that's kind of not a lot of confidence in our team. I was like, we actually got a pretty good team. Um, you know, we're good enough to go back to the World Series. He's like, well, I don't I don't think we're going to get out of there. So I was like, okay, but if we make it to the World Series, am I going to play? And he got mad, and I was like, no, I'm not leaving out of here until I get an answer. I was like, you know. You got to tell me. So finally, he was like, fine. He's like, if the team wins, you're going in the World Series. I was like, okay, fine. So, um, you know, my brother goes with the team down to the World Series, you know, the region, New Orleans. They win. And it's time to get ready for the World Series. And he was like, you're not going to play in the World Series. And I was like, Okay, so basically you just lied to my face, you lied to my brother's face, you lied to my dad's face, you lied to my mom's face. So you lied to our face. And we was like, okay, but that's fine. You know what? That's fine. I, you know, um, you know, my brother goes to Omaha and, you know, I go. And instead of going, and I just sat in the stands, I didn't want to be a, you know, a distraction or anything. But here's the thing. Nobody saw how much work I was putting in during the day before my brother had to go to report to to practice or play his game. I was up early in the morning hitting my dad. We'd we'd take some balls. We'd go to a field. You know, back then you could just walk on a, you know, a local field and practice or at the park. And I was hitting, you know, working on my defense, working on my conditioning, and I probably got more work in during being suspended during the World Series than actually if I would have been there. And, um, you know, obviously being suspended, you know, for the World Series, I got labeled bad attitude. And um, I was supposed to be the second pick in the draft. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr. was the first pick. I was supposed to be the second pick of the Pittsburgh Pirates. But instead, they drafted this kid, Mark Merchant, who I don't even think he got out of double-A. He never made it. And I think I ended up going like 86. I was like the first pick of the Indians in the second round. So the Indians didn't have a first-round pick that year. Um, And um, the rest was history. So, you know, I get drafted by the Indians. And it was funny because that whole season, even at the beginning when we we had fall ball, there was this kid named Randy LaRose, and he would come to practice, and he had this old beat-up Indians hat. He's like, Albert, you're going to play for the Indians. He's like, here, look, this hat. He's like, here's you're going to play for. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about the Indians. And – you know, I ended up getting drafted by him, and he was like, see, I told you. And uh, so the, the rest was kind of history. It was pretty cool. And um, and I was just thinking, I was like, you know what? This is all I need. 
one shot. I said, I'm going to make the most of it. Yeah, isn't it, isn't it interesting? The draft days are, are so much different now. You know, they're trying to do the NFL version, but uh, and, and you look back on it and you remember the story. You're supposed to be a first-round pick. Now you're a second-round pick. It's Indians. Yeah, it worked out pretty good for you career-wise. But at the time, when you're going through it as a kid, I remember – you know, I was at SC and I had a kind of a mediocre junior year. I had a big regional, though, in that LSU regional I, I talked to you about earlier. Mm-hmm. And everybody says, well, you know, I was projected to be a first round pick, but uh, you might have dropped to the second round. Uh, okay, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. It's over. And yeah. uh, I get a call from the Seattle Mariners and they said, we got good news and bad news. And I said, well. Give me the good news. He said, we got you, Seattle Mariners. I said, well, give me the bad news because I don't think you like where you're picked. We got your first pick in the fifth round. I'm telling you, I threw something. I forget what I had. I threw it across the room. My dad was there with me in the room. And he goes, mm-hmm. what's the problem? And I'm going, you know, there's no way I ain't signing for fifth round money. I should be a first. And my dad's sitting there. You know, my dad at this point is like 15 years in the big leagues. And he looks right. at me. He's, he's still playing at the time. And he looks at me right. and goes, you, he goes, you done? I said, uh, yeah, what? You know, I, I'm expecting him to take my side. He goes, here's the deal. You're a fifth round pick. It's over with. It doesn't matter whether you were, they were right, they were wrong. It doesn't matter. He said, I would suggest instead of throwing a temper tantrum that you negotiate the best deal you could negotiate and go play a ball so next year you can start in double a that's just my you know and back at the time back in our day the money wasn't like it is today so it wasn't life-changing money it it might be some money you can go out and get a car but beyond that if you don't make it in the big leagues you're gonna have to get a job anyway but those are the little life lessons i went through and i you know now i look back and i tell that story but i remember when i was in the moment man i was pissed i'm like how dare you take me in the fifth round i'm the best player you know and and it's just dad was so right it's like it don't matter go show them that they were wrong and get to the big leagues in two years and that that ended up happening for me so it was it's kind of cool how we look back at our draft day so like like you mentioned second round pick Indians, and I think you go to Kinston, right? That's kind of a famous place. That, that Carolina League, uh, I came through there a few years later, and, and I think Tomei came through there. Jeremy Burnitz came through there. A uh, bunch of guys. But you were there. And, Albert, before this, uh, when I found out that Albert played in Kinston, a month ago I got a son that's in A-ball, and, and I was looking at the schedule work, and I see him in Kinston came up and I said, Kinston, that's the place I play. Yeah. I flew to Kinston yeah. and I was walking around like reminiscing, looking at because it's still the old stadium. They just renovated it. And yeah. I was walking around like, wow, I remember I was 20 years old and just hair on fire. And they didn't even have a clubhouse for us back then. You guys dressed in the right field over the right field wall. And I think we just showed up to the yard in our uni, like had some uh, peanut butter and jelly where you guys were hitting BP, then we'd hit and we'd have to sit in the dugout, wait for the game. That's how it was in 1990. Yeah, it, it was, uh, I, I, you know, I, I got drafted and I remember uh, the Indians came to my house and they were like, um, you know, we'll offer you, I think it was like, Forty or fifty thousand, and and I'm like, okay, well, that's not a lot. So I'll just go play summer ball in in the Cape League in the Cape League. Now I just played in the summer of '86 in Chatham, so I end up going to play in the summer of '87, and I end up playing for Hyannis, and I had a great summer. And it was funny because a lot of the the kids who got dragged, a lot of the pitchers. You know, I'm facing them guys, and I had a great season. And back then, you had until, like, the first day of college to sign. You had, you had to sign before you went to school for the first day. So I think I had to report to college, like, August 24th. And I think I signed on August 23rd. And I wanted to go to AA. And I was like, I want to go to AA because – I, you know, I want to skip a ball, you know, all these college pitches we face and, you know, these guys are all going to be in the pros real soon. Um, and I want to go to double a and then, you know, start the year in double a, cause I didn't want to, you know, 
they wanted to go to like rookie ball, then like low A, then high A ball, and then double A. I'm like, no, that's like three, you know, two or three years in the minor. I said, I want to go to double A. And they were like, well, you know, our double A team is bad. They're like 30 games out of first. Um, you know, our Kinston team, you know, they're managed by Mike Hargrove. You know, he's probably going to be our future manager. It's a great team. It was, you know, high A ball, great group of guys. They're in first place. Um, you know, probably going to make the playoffs. They may win. So I think I signed and end up playing like two weeks of like regular season and, and end up playing in the playoffs. And I think we lost to the pirates, the Salem pirates in the championship. And, um, and I was saying, I said, okay, I'll go to a ball, but I want to make sure next year I go to double a ball. And they're like, Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. You know, we'll send you double a next book. Well, that was one of the first things I learned about baseball is like, okay, I didn't get it in writing. So next year when I go to spring training, they send me back to A-ball. And I wasn't very happy about that. And, and I was telling the guy, I said, well, you know, you promised to send me double-A. And like, well, you know, we're going to uh, – Mike Hargrove wanted to take Jim Brewski to double-A. And I was like, oh, the guy who hit 240 in A-ball? <laughs> and you're, you're, you think he's going to hit higher than that? I was like, I can hit 300 wherever I'm going. I was like, I can play. And uh, they were like, well, we're just going to send you to, to A-ball. And uh, so I ended up going to A-ball. And, uh, you know, that was, you know, an okay season. And uh, But I didn't end up going to double-A until 90, 1990. 1990. It was, oh, no, 89. 89. That was, that was 88. I went back to A-ball. And, you know, I went through some, some troubles in, in 88 and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, they were trying to figure out what was wrong. And I was like, well, you, you know, you guys keep lying to me in my face, just like Skip Burton lied. And then you can't figure out, like, why I'm upset about everything. I was like, I can play. I was like, you got Corey Snyder, who's hitting 220 in the big leagues. And you got Jim Brewski, who's hitting two, I think he was hitting 230 in double A. I was like, how are these guys ahead of me? But, uh, you know, I just didn't know how the way the things worked back then. I just thought you just put the best player out there. And, uh, so I didn't even, I didn't, you know, so I went through a lot of troubles in 88 and then I didn't get my, and, and I remember um, sitting down with Dan O'Dowd and Dan O'Dowd was like, Albert, he's like, what's it going to take for you to play? And I said, Dan, listen to me. I said, send me the double A. I said, if I don't perform well in double A and be successful, I said, you can get rid of me and I'll be done with baseball forever. But I said, I just want a chance to play in double A. He says, okay. And at the time, um, Hargrove went to triple A and then Bobby Molinero was our double A manager. And he was a former White Sox player. And um, it was their first year in Canton, Canton, Ohio. So, which was perfect because it was like right down the road. And, you know, so I go down to, to Canton and at the time, it was part of the Eastern League, and the Eastern League sent all their top pitching prospects to all, you know all those teams. And um, when I got there, you know, I found out uh, they were like, "Yeah, the home run, you know, the home run record is like 19." I was like, "Wow, really? For the whole season?" And they were like, <laughs> "Yeah, because there's all these like top pro- pitching prospects." And I was like, "Oh, okay." So at the All Star break, I had 20 homers. So I'd already broke the record at, at the, um, at the all-star break and Bobby Molinaro. And I just remember him and he says, you know, he can, you know, he, you know, he had that thick Italian accent. He say, Albert, I'm telling you, if you want to hit in the big leagues, you always got to be ready to hit the fastball no matter what. And I was like, okay. And, and, and I, I, you know, from there, I mean, even double a, like, I mean, I was, you know, pretty good fastball hitter. And then as soon as you start hitting the fastball, you know, I was a little bit susceptible to the breaking ball. Um, but, you know, compared to the big league breaking balls, they, they weren't snapping them off. You know, they, they were just kind of toward them over the plate. So uh, at the all-star break, I was um, 
uh, went to the All-Star game, and then we come back, and then we take the bus ride. We were going to play in Williamsport. And then as soon as we get to Williamsport, uh, Molinero calls me in the office. He says, he says I'm not going to play you today. And I was like, why? I was like, I'm, you know, just got back from the All-Star game. Like, I'm ready to go. And he says, well, I have some good news. He says, you're going to the big leagues. And I was like, really? I was like, and they couldn't tell me that when I was back in Canton and I could have just got in my car and drove up. You, you know, I had to drive like 14 hours on this bus. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, I, you know, I drive back and, um, and then, so I'm thinking, I'm like, you know, I'm looking, I'm like, who are we playing? And I'm like the Rangers. And I was like, okay, I like, I don't know anybody on the Rangers. And they were like, you're going to face Nolan Ryan. I said, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. He throws hard. Okay, good. Let's, let's, let's see what, you know, let's see what he got. You know, I'm from Louisiana. He's from Texas. You know, I'm used to these battles and, uh, you know, I get an RBI single, my first at bat. And, uh, you know, I was like, wow, like, this is easy. You know, he, he threw me like a, you know, he threw me a breaking ball and got a base hit. I'm like, wow, this is easy. And then like the next time up, it was like strike one, strike two, strike three, three, like three gases right by me. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I ended up going one for three, you know, with an RBI and, you know, my first at bat in the big leagues. And, um, and it was funny because at the time, um, I don't think anybody was really bringing players from double A up to the big leagues. And uh, it kind of sparked Joe Carter and Joe Carter got hot. He had like 14 homers at the break and he just basically took the team on his shoulder. And I think he ended up hitting like 21 homers the second half and he had a phenomenal season. And I learned a lot about the game a major league baseball from Joe Carter. He's kind of like a big brother and he took me on his wings and, uh, you know, just telling me about the game. And, um, and I think we got to a point where, you know, they were in last place. I think they got out the cellar. Um, it was actually, you know, actually playing pretty good. And at the end of the year, when it was time for Corey, Corey Snyder went on the disabled list, so at the end of the year, they wanted to send Corey Snyder on a rehab assignment to Canton Acre, and they wanted me to keep playing right field because the team was playing good. They didn't want to break it up. And he says, and Corey says, I'm not going to double-A. I'm coming back. You know, I want my job. And so, you know, they put him out there in right field, and I sat on the bench, and, and the team went right back in last place, and Doc Edwards got fired. Um, as the manager and John Hart takes over. And, and then I think he played me the last, you know, 10 or 12 games of the year to finish out the year. And, uh, and then, you know, 1990, uh, that was a, another uh, bad year for me where I ended up, uh, you know, going into rehab and uh, gave up drinking and, so missed the whole 90 season. And then in 91, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be ready. I'm coming to camp for a job. I remember driving out to Oakland, California, and I worked out uh, with Billy Williams, who, who was our one of our minor league uh, instructors. And he pitched to me, and, and we worked on defense. And it was like every day. And, and then we just got in the car, drove to spring training, and – it was like, I, you know, I basically played every day. Like I had to, you know, back then we were down in Tucson. So, you know, you had to travel to Phoenix, travel to Yuma, travel to Palm Springs. You know, we tra I travel, you know, I had to go on all the road trips. You know, as a young player, you're in charge of like all the luggage and stuff, make sure everything gets on. But I didn't mind. I, I wanted to play. And I ended up leading baseball and like homers and RBIs. And McNamara, and McNamara at the time, he didn't like young players. So he calls me in the office. He's like, congratulations. He's like, you're my left fielder. He didn't clean up. And I said, thank you. And I was like, you won't regret it. And, um, and then I had a big 91 season. And then I end up running into the catcher at the end of the season with about two weeks to go. And that would have been my first 3,100, but I finished up with 2,895. And it was funny because uh, it was a play at the plate. 
And I had always wanted to, like, run over a catcher. I was like, you know, first chance I get, I want to run over a catcher. It looks pretty cool, right? Because, you know, I've seen Bo Jackson do it. So I was like, yeah, it looks pretty cool. And what happened is we ended up playing the, uh, we were playing the Yankees. So Matt Noakes was the catcher. So when I was coming around third, it was going to be a bang-bang playing at the plate. But I couldn't see because there was a shadow of the field, but he was basically giving up the plate. You know, he was going to kind of step aside and try to sideswipe because it was going to be bang, bang. And I went out the baseline and I plowed into him. And uh, I ended up, you know, getting some teeth knocked out. And I had to end up going to the, uh, the hospital and the dentist. I had to get my mouth wired shut and spent the last two weeks on the disabled list, you know, to finish out the season. And and uh, I didn't get my 3,100 finished with 2,895. But... um end up having a, a pretty good year hitting cleanup and um and then I was just ready for for next season 92 well I'll tell you I, I mean like you said you make your debut in 89 90 you know you had some some problems you you talked about you went out to rehab 91 is you know as a young player you put up that like you said you, you know and 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 I know why you say it because there's not another year that you played in the big leagues that you didn't drive in a hundred. Ninety five to most guys is a is a career, and this was your worst RBI season, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. But you go on yeah. to ninety two, you go you go thirty four one twelve, then you go thirty eight one twenty nine, and they keep coming. And you go from the mistake by the leg. Now you're opening Jacobs Field in 94. You only hit 357 that year, Albert. What happened? You hit 36, you know 101, 317. And this is what I get to. Well, now I'm going to let you tell me. But those are pretty awesome years to start your career, especially from a production, especially in our time. And you know as well as I do, the ribby men are the ribby men. And they get paid, and that's what it was about: is who drives in the runs. And at that time, right. you were you were the premier, you know, one of the definite premier guys in all of the game doing that. Take me through those years and those opening, you know, the Jacobs Field, and man, those Indians back then—that was the place to be. I don't know how many sellouts you guys had in a row, but that was kind of the mecca of baseball at that time. But going back to the ninety-two, ninety-three season. And it was a it was a big transition year, um, you know, facing like you know some some great pitchers, um, you know, playing every day, and but to be able to 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 be able to get to hit three hundred, I was you know I wasn't walking a lot, and I I kept telling myself I was like well, you know when I watch Frank Thomas, you watch like Robin Yao, you watch Paul Marlowe, you watch Wade Boggs. I'm like, how are these guys hitting 300? And I used to watch them in batting practice, and I watched their approach, and then I watched them in a the game. And, and finally, um, I was like, okay, if you walk more, the more you walk, the better pitches you're going to get. Because these pitchers aren't going to want to walk you because you might end up scoring a run and then it's going to tack on their ERA. So they don't like that. So they'd rather pitch to you. So I kind of got a better understanding of the strike zone in 92 and, uh, you know, 93. But when we, in 94, we were just so happy to be out of that dump, Cleveland Stadium. I mean, that place was the pit. And, you know, you walk into this brand new state of the art facility um you know we had this incredible locker room incredible weight room incredible training facility incredible video room and you know we had you know incredible batting cages like right on a you know not right by the, the dugout but you know just a little walk away and everything was state-of-the-art i mean everything was top of the line and we were like, wow, like this is great. And we had a nice young team. And then we went out and we added some veteran players. And kind of like, it was like the, the, the players that we needed to help us get over to. And uh, so in 94, uh, I had Eddie Murray hitting behind me. And it was funny because 
I didn't tell anybody at the time that Eddie Murray had been my favorite player growing up. And there was, I think it was after a game, my mom and dad went up to Eddie Murray and, you know, they, they wanted to meet all the players and, and they introduced themselves and they were like, did you know you were my son's favorite player? And he was like, no. And it's like, really? And so he got a big kick out of that. And I was like, mom, like you embarrassed me. I don't want anybody to know that. And, and, um, but you know, I told him, I was like, yeah, I said, I used to watch you play. And I said, no matter what happened, I said, you played every day. And that was like his hallmark. It's like he went out and played and, and I didn't know at the time, you know, like he was banged up a lot, but it didn't matter. He went out, he played, you, you never knew. Uh, if he was hurt or not, but you know, he played, played a great first base, you know, he DH and, um, so to be able to have him hit behind me and protect me in the lineup, which was why I was able to have a great season because at the time, you know, you had Kenny Lofton leading off. Um, so he was, he was, you know, he was up there too. He might've hit like three thirty, three forty. So he was in the running for the batting title too. So, you know, I came up with all these guys on base, you know, uh, Omar and, and, and Carlos were hitting 300. So I came up with guys on base and then I had protection behind me in the lineup with Eddie because, you know, as a switch hitter, you know, he was hitting 30 homers, 100 RBIs, you know, on his way to the hall of fame. So I was kind of like, you know, like in the middle of the, in the middle of all the action and just, you know, collecting all the gold and, so that was a year where, you know, it was going to be this, you know, big rival. The White Sox became our rivals. And I think at the time um, we went on strike, we were getting ready to go to, we were in Toronto and New York. And I was like, oh my God, I was like, I was going to light those guys up. That that team they had, those that pitching stab was, was cakewalk. And uh, I think we're going to go maybe like Toronto, Boston, New York. I think I think it was a, a nine game trip and um so I was you know I was feeling pretty good about trying to 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 win a batting title but uh Paul O'Neill I think the last I think the last game of the season I think he got a couple hits to 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 squeak past me cuz it was a close race Yeah and I had I had Paulie on the on the uh podcast a couple uh, about a month ago and I remember, okay. and I remember you guys were one two in that year, that ninety four season. But uh, yeah, it was a short season. We ended up going on strike. I remember that. It was short. Uh, I remember because I was the I was the assistant player rep for the Reds. You know, I was still such a young player that they kind of yeah. told me. You know, I didn't even have arbitration rights. And they said it's kind of smart for you to kind of lay in the background, but it'll be educational for you. And I remember when they pulled the plug. You know. You probably, or, or I definitely was, you probably the same. Like, what, what are you doing here? This <laughs> is a pretty good season right. we got going. But, uh, yeah. and that gets us to 95. And this is still boggles my mind. You're still the only person ever to do it. 52 homers, 50 doubles. Normally we don't put our doubles in the, in the category, but this year just nobody ever went 50-50. And, and for people out there listening, how, how hard it is to do that. Uh, one or the other is fine, but to hit, have that many extra base hits is is pretty remarkable. You hit three seventeen. I don't know how you didn't win the MVP. What's your version of? It? Well, the you know the reason why I didn't I didn't win MVP because you know I wasn't the most still wasn't the most popular player in, in baseball, and you know people wanted to come up and and do these interviews, and they were like, "Well, what's your secret?" And I was like, well, if I tell you, then it wouldn't be a secret anymore. And I was like, I don't want to discuss. I said, hitting is pretty simple. I hit the strikes and I take the balls. And I'm just going to hit the ball. If it's a mistake, I want to hit it hard somewhere. I didn't care if it went out, if it was a base hit, uh, if it went by the pitcher's head. I wanted to hit line drive. And that was the one thing I learned from watching like a Frank Thomas and then you end up playing with him. Uh, Eddie Murray, I watched him, you know, batting practice, Wade Boggs, Molitor, Yount, like all these guys, Winfield, like batting practice was like the most important part, the most important time of the day because uh, 
you know, you, you, you get your swing locked in. Um, you know, you get to work on some things and anticipate what you think the pitcher's going to do. And those guys didn't want to be distracted. And, you know, they they took a hard-line approach, too. Like, they didn't want all these people, like, around the batting cage and, and stuff like that. And, I mean, they they meant business. And I, I used to come out early if we were on the road and watch these guys hit. And, uh, you know, to, to be able to, you know, to watch these guys hit and perform, and that's what I wanted to do. And in '95, it was it was a year where everything kind of fell into place. Um, you know, like I said, you know, I got off to a slow start. It's just it's so hard for me to play in the cold weather because you know I didn't grow up playing in the cold weather, and and April and May was always a struggle. But I knew by I said, okay, June first, it's hot. Okay, now it's my time. And I always got hot June. I always had big Junes, big Julys. And, you know, you could see, like, our team starting to, to come together. We were starting to have these big come-from-behind wins. And our pitching staff was like, wow, okay, like, you know, these guys are scoring runs. Okay, like, we have to do our part. You know, we're going to, you know, you know, start mowing these guys down, and and you know we we they had pretty good run support, and I remember you know Hershey's and Martinis. I mean, they were like you know happy as a jaybird, uh, you know, because they were like, wow, you know, like we're you know they were working hard too. I mean, I used to see those guys in a weight room, you know, we had the state of the art weight room. I mean, like everybody was working out, um, you know, everybody was in shape, everybody was conditioned. You know, and the thing about it is, like, we always communicated and we always talked about the game of baseball. Like, we would sit and talk, like, how do you guys want to pitch this guy? How do you want to play this guy? And I remember a lot of times, uh, like, I I thought I played a pretty good left field, but it was hard to really notice me because Lofton was making all the phenomenal catches, you know, in center field. And... Uh, and, you know, every now and then, I you know, I make a great play and, and nobody really noticed it. And then I had Omar that was in front of me. He was making all these great plays at shortstop. So, uh, you know, everything I did in the outfield kind of got noticed. But I, I played a pretty good left field. And we were just so happy to win. And, and like, we couldn't wait to get to the ballpark. We couldn't wait to play. And it didn't matter who the hero was. Like, it seemed like every night, there was going to be a different hero. We all rooted for each other and we all knew what like everybody was thinking. Like, um, you know, I remember one time, like during that season, we went through like a, we went through like a bad stretch where we kind of made some mental errors and some physical errors and Hargrove got pissed at us. And he was like, oh, okay. He says, I'm going to change this. He's like, I'm going to have everybody out. And I think it was like two o'clock, dressed and ready. He says, nobody be late. And we came out and we're like, we were like, really? Like the game's at seven. And he's like, yep. He said, warm up, get ready. We're going to do um, 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 fundamental stuff. We did in spring training. You know, they hit the ball to the outfield, you know, cold cutoff man, you know, plays down the line, plays in the alley in the outfield. We took infield, outfield. And then they did like bunt plays and PFPs and, and all this stuff. And we were pissed. And we were like, can you believe, like, you know, we're winning. He got us doing it. But yeah, I, I understand what he was doing because he didn't want to let this stuff, like, fester any longer. And um, from from that game forward, like, we took off and, and we never looked back and, and all the way through the World Series. And, and, and it was kind of like – it's kind of like old school and – and, you know, he didn't really get mad at us that much that year, but I know he was mad that time and he had us come out early and we got mad and we were like, okay, like we don't, you know, we need to tighten things up because we don't want to go through this again. This is brutal. Well, you, you so, mentioned uh, Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. 
No, and you mentioned guys that, you know, you came up and, and you, you mentioned you loved Eddie Murray as a kid. And, and that's what it's all about. I was coming up right, you know, four years behind you. So I remember as a young player, at, you know, with the Reds, man, we played you guys in the Ohio Cup. I bet, oh, there's Bayerga. And, you know, Bayerga is a second baseman and he was established and I was just establishing myself. So, of course, I'm going to look to him and I go, oh, that Albert Bell, that guy's mean, man. <laughs> I'd laugh, but I love watching you hit. By the mid 90s, you guys got Manny Ramirez and told me hit like seventh and eighth in the lineup. That's how good those teams were. And, uh, yep. you know, it's like when Manny Ramirez hit eighth, you're pretty good. And, and I know he's a rookie and he was putting his time in because of the guys that were hitting in the middle of the lineup, you know, back then were so good. It was just, I, I always, it's like the 90s Braves. You know, they won that one World Series, but with Maddox, Smoltz, and Glavin, you're like, how come you guys don't have two or three? I think that a little bit with those teams, those Indians teams, because it was such, that, that lineup one through nine was like, it was like an all-star lineup. And I always wonder, man, why didn't they win more? Yeah. And and don't forget, I mean, we had a we had a really good bullpen. I mean, they were lights out, and you know they would come in, and we had some guys throwing hard. And 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 here's what I found out because I I guess you know I've talked with some players about, and I'm like, are these guys really throwing a hundred nowadays? And it was like, well, it's on the fast gun because I remember back in our days we had the Jugs gun, which was a fast Jugs. gun, and, and the Ray gun. The Ray gun was a slow gun, so. At the ballpark, we had always used the ray gun. So, you know, guys were throwing, you know, 92, 95. And I think there may have been, you know, Randy Johnson, you know, a couple of times, you know, got up, you know, this Clemens, they got, got up to 98. You know, Pedro got it up. But, um, you know, so I guess they're using a different gun. So it's like a fast gun. So now it looks like everybody's throwing 100 when they're actually uh, not throwing 100 and they're throwing less. But, um, you know, they try to say that the hitters of today were, were better than we were. It was like, there's no way. Cause you know, during co I remember in doing COVID last year, I had a bunch of, um, you know, soccer dads text me. They was like, Hey, like your game's on. I'm like, what game? They're like, Oh, like one of the old, like 94, 95 games, world series games and, and, um, or playoff game. And, and they were like, they're like, man, like you guys swung at everything. We was like, yeah, we weren't, we weren't trying to walk. If there was a strike, we were trying to get on base, hit a line drive somewhere, and uh, you know, we were trying to score runs. But you know, the the mindset of baseball nowadays has has changed, and but I think it's going to come back to where it used to be because, um, I mean, you could just see how the attendance is down. The game, you know, the games are longer, and players are striking out at an alarming rate, and it's just, it's just bad for the game. The Boone Podcast continues with our two-part special podcast with Albert Bell. Please download and listen to part two of our podcast right now on whatever platform you listen to the show.